right, we are finishing up our Outlasters series today. This is our final installment, and as I mentioned just, just a moment before, the series has been looking at, at making our mark, at, at what is going to remain when we're not here anymore. All of us one day will, will no longer be on this planet, but something will be left behind. There will be some legacy left behind, and we want that to be significant. We want that to matter. We want our values and our faith to be left for the next generation. So uh, today, in part four, as we finish this up, I want to talk to you about intentional giving. I want to talk to you about intentional giving. And I know when you say those words, uh, the first thing you do is kind of grab for your wallet, and you're like, okay, we just did an offering. Now they're asking for more money. We are not talking about money in today's message about intentional giving at all. I'll, I'll explain that and unpack that a little bit more as we go. But, but we are going to be intentional about giving the next generation the right things. Uh, I think it's really interesting what things people are intentional about and what things were not. Uh, as a pastor, I've had the privilege and the honor of doing, I don't know, 13, 14 weddings. Uh, and, and it's amazing when you do a wedding how much time and preparation and thought is put into the wedding. Uh, but, but occasionally you'll come across a couple, and, and especially out in the world, oftentimes you'll come across a couple that put so much time, effort, money, investment into their wedding, but very, very little time and investment into their marriage. We'll spend $20,000 on a wedding without thinking about it. We'll, we'll go so big and do such, such big things to invest in this one day that's going to last a few hours, but we won't take an hour and a half off of work to go to a premarital counseling. We put so much emphasis on the event and so little emphasis on the relationship. Sometimes we're very intentional about the wrong things. As, as a parent, um, before we had kids, I didn't realize how much intentionality went into planning your baby's room. Uh, I didn't realize this was such a big deal. In fact, one of the things people told us when we told them we weren't going to find out the gender of our baby, people, everybody wanted to know, well, how are you going to decorate the baby room? Because that's a big deal, apparently. you got to decorate the room just right for your baby. People have got to be intentional about it. And we were intentional about decorating our child's room. We de decorated it gray so it would work for a boy or for a girl. And, and we set it up in a way that, that would work gender neutral. But, but it's amazing how much effort we'll put into preparing preparing for the birth, preparing for, for this life to be here, but, but how much little effort we'll actually put in learning how to parent, how little investment we'll put, how, how little we'll do to actually read a book or, or, or to study up or, or to seek God for how we're going to invest in our kids. And so many times I think we're intentional about some of the wrong things and unintentional about the things that truly matters. So what I want to do today is I want to help us to become intentional about something that matters incredibly large, and that is the future, the next generation, whether you are a mentor or an example or a leader in the life of a young person or you are a parent or you are both. I believe that all of us as Christians have a role to play in raising up the next generation. So, so I want to talk to you today about three things that we want to give the next generation to position them for success. Three things that we need to intentionally give them because intentionality matters. If we don't give them the right things intentionally, we will unintentionally give them the wrong things. In fact, I, I want to share with you, first of all, before we get to the main part of our message, I want to share with you three things that we do unintentionally give to our kids many times that are harmful to them. 
with good intentions, with desiring to do the right thing, uh, many times we unintentionally give them these things. The first thing that, that many times we give kids is we give them praise that they don't deserve. Praise that they don't deserve, and we don't think that would be harmful, man. We, we want to tell them how great they are all the time, and I'm guilty of this, man. I, I'll tell my son he's the best in the world, and I'll look at him, and then I'll be like, okay, is he really the best kid in the world, or is he just the best kid in the world to me? And, and I try to transition that over to just, I love you. Daddy loves you. Daddy thinks you're awesome because there's probably a better kid out there somewhere. I don't know who he is. I haven't found him yet, but probably somewhere there's a better kid than my kid, right? We, we lavish this praise on them, and when they're a baby, it's fine, but as they grow up, many times we give them praise that they don't deserve, and here's what ends up happening. If you've ever watched the tryouts for American Idol, you see the results of people who got praise that they didn't deserve, right? Somebody lied to that person. Somebody somewhere told them, oh, you just got a beautiful voice you sound awesome you can be anything you want to be go for it and then they stand out in front of the world and they make a fool of themselves because somebody gave them some praise they don't deserve and here's the end result of it they end up not trusting you you lose credibility in the life of your child it takes a while to get there but they end up realizing no i'm actually not the best at everything they, they, they really didn't deserve to tell me those things. So we have to be careful. I'm not saying not to praise your kids. I'm not saying not to encourage your kids. But we got to be careful when we give them praise that they don't deserve. The second thing that we unintentionally give them that can be harmful is we give them things that they didn't earn. Things that they didn't earn. We actually hit on this at the very beginning of our series in part one, but I, I want to loop back around to it as we get ready to finish because I think this point is so incredibly important. We, we give kids so much that they don't deserve. We, we, we bless them with things, and I've got no problem with blessing or being generous to our kids, but, but we'll give them access to now to, to Xbox Live, and they'll jump on a video game at 10 years old, and they can connect with anybody across the world, and they're playing a game, and many times we have no idea what they're doing. We, we give them, uh, we, we put together these lavish birthday parties for them. Pinterest is one of the greatest things ever invented, and also one of the worst, because now when a birthday is coming up, mom's jumping on Pinterest, putting together a Pinterest board, and, and, and their kids got to have it all, right? You've got to have the ponies, and the moon bounce, and the DJ, and the magician, and the flamethrowers. Like, we got to have everything brought together for our kids, and we did a big party for our kid, and I'm not saying not to do a big party, but, but, but we can go over the top sometimes, right? Like, our two-year-old doesn't remember. Our one-year-old doesn't Judah doesn't remember his first birthday party. That was more for us than for him, right? Like, to be real, that's the way that it is. And, and so we got to be careful not to give things, kids things that they don't earn. We, they reach 10 or 12 or 14 years old or whatever it is, and we give them a $300 smartphone with an unlimited data plan, and, and that thing doesn't mean anything to them. In fact, yesterday, Melody and I were out walking in our neighborhood, and, and we come around the corner, and we're coming up, and here's two probably, I don't know, 10, 11-year-old boys walking down, and one of them has a, a very nice Galaxy phone in his hand, and he spikes it on the ground. And I was like, are you kidding me? And so I couldn't resist. I'm that guy. I put my nose where it didn't belong, and I was like, Whose phone is that? Because I thought he, like, jacked it from somebody and was, like, teaching somebody a lesson. I didn't know what happened. He's like, oh, it's mine, but I don't like it anymore, and I'm getting a new one today anyway. And I'm like, dude, you're 10, and you just shattered this phone. What, 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 why does that happen? It happens because somebody gave him something he didn't earn. 
He had no understanding of the value of it. It didn't mean anything to him. And so here's a a 10-year-old boy who is destroying something that many people much older than him would would die to have. Uh, We're many times guilty of giving the younger generation things that they don't earn. You see this all the time. Uh, I worked in youth ministry 11 years full-time. I've been involved in youth ministry for 15 years, and you see this all the time. Uh, A kid turns 16, and they get a car that's nicer than the car that their teachers drive at school. You go to the student lot, and the student cars are nicer than the teacher cars. That's a problem. It's not the way that it should be, and so we got to be careful about giving them things that they don't earn. The last thing that we give them that can be very harmful to them, and, and maybe the worst of the three, we give them freedoms that they can't handle, freedoms that they can't handle, that they're not prepared for handling. We give them uh, access to, to watch anything that they want on television or, or unlimited internet through their smartphone or their tablet or their computer. We, we have 15-year-old girls that we send out on car dates with boys, and we tell them to have fun. Now, when Alexa gets old enough, she's not going on a car date at 15. She's probably not going on a car date till she's like 35. Sorry, baby girl. Uh, but, but when that day comes, I'll tell you this. I'm not going to look at the guy taking her on a date and say, have fun. I'm going to say, be bored, have no fun, be home by nine, be lame, be boring, do not have fun. I'm not going to encourage them to go have fun. Why? We give them freedoms that so many times they're not prepared to handle. They're not mature enough for, and without meaning to, we unintentionally give them things that hurt them. Therefore, we need to be intentional about the things that we do give the next generation. You're never going to meet somebody who accidentally fell into righteousness. You're never going to talk to a 13-year-old young man and say, man, how did you become so holy? And he's like, well, I was just walking down the street, and I tripped, and then I was holy. It doesn't just happen, right? We don't accidentally become like Jesus. It's intentional. It's an intentional pursuit of who he is and who he wants us to be. So if you got your Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is one of the I think most important passages uh, in the entire Old Testament when it comes to how do we pass things on to the next generation. Starting in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6, the Word of God says this. God's speaking through Moses, actually to Moses and to his people, and he says this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This passage we're about to get into is called the Shema. It's one of the, the most core passages for, for Jewish religious people. This is something that they, they think is so important for them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he transitions into the next generation. He says, impress them on your children. Impress. In other words, it's intentional. It's not just going to happen. They're not just going to soak it up. They're not just going to desire this for themselves. It's our responsibility as the older generation. It's our responsibility as parents. It's our responsibility as, as members of the community of Jesus Christ to impress these things on the next generation. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, this has got to be a big deal. 
This is not something that we just open the Bible on Sunday morning when we go to church and we leave it there. It's not something where we just get them to children's church as important as Kid City is and we think, well, hey, that's going to be enough to get them through the week. God says this is a constant thing. This is a daily thing. It's in the morning and it's in night. It's when you're sitting at home. It's when you're going somewhere. We are constantly given the responsibility of passing God's truth on to the next generation. So without any further ado, let's look at three things that we must intentionally give the next generation based on this passage here. Three things that our next generation needs so desperately. The first thing that we need to give to our kids intentionally is they need a community worth having. They need a community worth having. Look at how this passage starts in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He doesn't say, Hear, O God follower. He doesn't say, Hear, O Jew. It doesn't make it individual. He makes it corporate. He makes it community. Why? I think it's very important. He's saying, We're doing this together. We're pursuing God together. This is us as a nation. It's not me doing what I want and you doing what you want. It's together we're going to pursue God's best. Together we're going to go after what he has for us. There's a community aspect to this. Yes, faith is individual, and we all have to grab a hold of faith for ourselves. So last week we talked about giving a first-generation faith. They've got to have a personal experience with Jesus Christ. But in the midst of that personal experience, the community is going to advance them towards the image of who Jesus is. The community is going to make them more and more like Jesus. And in in my opinion, as somebody who's worked with young people for a really long time, if you were to ask me, Pastor Troy, in, in your experience with all the young people you've worked with, what is the number one indicator What is the number one uh, predictor of which young people come out of a youth ministry are actually going to continue to pursue God 5, 10, 12 years down the road? I would tell you this one right here. The greatest commonality is, is not the kids who went through this program or who went on this kind of trip. The greatest commonality among the young people that I've seen who are still serving God today is they engaged in godly community. They found people to do life with they found peers who were pursuing god they found leaders who were pursuing pursuing god they found people of their generation and other generations that they could connect with that they could look up to that they could turn to for prayer that would love them enough to tell them when they stepped out of line and those are the ones who are still serving god today it's the ones who got a community worth having Not the ones who had the most gifts, not the ones who had the best parents, not the ones who had the most money, not the ones who memorized the most scripture. All of those are great things, and I hope all of our students would have those things. But the ones who are serving God today are the ones who found a community worth having. Parents, older generation, leaders in the church, it is on us to expose our kids, intentionally engage them in a community worth having. I'm not just saying to show up to church on Sundays or to take them to the 662 on Wednesday nights. Those things are important. But it goes beyond that. I'm talking about engaging other believers, going so far as to actually have people over to your house. I know that's scary, right? Like actually inviting somebody that you don't really know that well, but saying, you know what, why don't you come over? Can we get to know you a little bit? 
or even accepting somebody else's invitation to go to their place, even though you got so many other more important things to do. Why? We're going to intentionally expose our kids to a community worth having. We're going to help them select friends. We're not just going to let them hang out with anybody they want to hang out with. We're going to help them choose people who are moving in the same direction, who want to be a part of something, who want to do something for the glory of God. Those are the ones that we're going to go out of our way to make sure they get to hang out with that person, that they get to go over and spend the night with that person, that they get to go and be a part of this thing with that person. We're going to make sure that we give them a community worth having. Community means everything. It's so vitally important. Strong communities will never be an accident. It has to be intentional. All of us have busy lives. All of us have stuff going on. All of us have a million reasons why we'd rather sit at the house in our underwear than engage somebody else, right? Like it's hot. There's stuff going on. I'm tired. But, but community matters, and it will make such an incredible impact in the lives of our kids. Culture pushes us away from community. You know one of the greatest values in America? Independence. We just celebrated it this week. I'm not against the 4th of July. I'm not saying not to shoot off fireworks. I'm not saying not to wear red, white, and blue. I'm so grateful that, that I was born in America. I think this is truly the greatest country on earth, as flawed as it is. But independence is not a Christian value. In fact, I would go so far as to say that independence is a non-Christian value, not just on the, the, I'm not talking on the country level, I'm talking on the individual level. For me, for you, God has not called us to independence. God has called us to dependence. Number one, on him. There, there is no Christianity without dependence on our maker. There is no Christianity without a realization that, God, I'm not enough. God, I can't fix my sin. God, I can't get to where you are. And I've got to rely on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for my sins. There's no Christianity without that. Christianity is, by definition, dependence. We cannot celebrate independence as a culture and think, well, we got this. I got this. My family's got this. We don't need anybody else. But not only does God call us to dependence on him, he then calls us to dependence on one another. You cannot read the New Testament without being blasted by those two words again and again and again. One another, one another, one another, one another. In fact, I wrote down a few examples. These are just a very few of the things that the New Testament says about one another. He says to love one another. It says to encourage one another. It says to be devoted to one another. Devoted. Devoted is a lot more than sitting across the row from somebody at church once a week. There's a commitment to one another. It says to accept one another, to be patient with one another, to forgive one another, to be kind and compassionate to one another, to submit to one another. Uh-oh, we don't like that one. To pray for one another. It even goes so far to say to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I think we can accept that one that's cultural. I'll take a fist bump or a high five. I know some people, you know, that might freak them out a little bit. But, but it's constantly talking about how we engage one another. The New Testament was not written for me as a standalone believer. It was written for me as a part of a godly community. How do I connect? How do I become a part of this? And it makes such a difference when we expose young people to this. Here's why this is so important. Because one day, your 15-year-old is going to be over at somebody's house, and somebody's going to break out some alcohol. 
And they're going to look at your little 15-year-old and say, what? You don't drink? What's wrong with you? Everybody else does it. And if you've given your 15-year-old a godly community, they get to come back with, well, no, actually, not everybody does. Because I've grown up around a lot of other people that, that we're waiting until we're old enough. We're waiting until it's legal. We're going to honor the law around us. And I've got a whole bunch of friends who aren't doing it. So maybe all you guys do this, but it's not everybody who does this. One day, your girl is going to be in the back seat of a car or is going to be at a party. And somebody's going to say, what, you, you don't have sex? You've never had sex? Everybody has sex. And they're going to be able to look that person in the eye. And instead of just saying, no, I don't, they're going to be saying, no, I don't. And neither do we, because i got a whole community of people who are waiting, who value our purity, who are waiting for what God has for us. There's power in we. When that moment comes of that pressure, when that moment comes, when the world pushes against them and tries to make them feel so isolated and so weird because they're standing up for what God has for them, do they have a community behind them to point to and say, no, this is us? Or are they on their own by themselves? There's power and community. So much power. We're going to intentionally give them a community worth having. Number two, we're going to give them a standard worth achieving. A standard worth achieving. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It doesn't say love the Lord your God when you get around to it. It doesn't say love the Lord your God when you get out of college. It doesn't say love the Lord your God with with a little bit of your heart, love the Lord your God when it's convenient, love the Lord your God when everybody else is doing it. it says, love the Lord your God with every stinking thing you got. Love him with it all. And, and this is full-on, radical, 100% set-apart type of faith and commitment in Jesus Christ that God is calling us to. Do you know that in the Old Testament, in the day and age when this was written, very, very shortly after this was written, actually, because this is the fifth book of the Bible, that Young people in the Old Testament, by the time they were 12 years old, they would memorize not a verse, not five verses, not a chapter. Young people in the Jewish culture, by the time they were 12 years old, would memorize the first five books of the Bible by 12 years old. And you're sitting there thinking, my kid can't even remember how to spell his name, right? How is it possible for 12-year-olds to memorize the first five books of the Bible? You know how it's possible? Somebody believed in them enough to tell them you could do it. Somebody believed them in enough to challenge them and say, here's where the bar is. We're not lowering the bar down here. We're not letting you get away with mediocrity. We're not letting you get away with trying to maybe memorize one verse every six months. You are capable of more. You are capable of hiding God's word in your heart. We're going to challenge you and expect big things in you and through you. The problem that we have is we have dumbed down faith so much for our kids that they're not even challenged by it. And if you've ever seen the kid in the classroom who he's not challenged by the class, you know what happens when he's not challenged? He gets bored and he quits trying. He shuts down, right? Why? Because, man, this, it's too easy. It's not pushing me. It's not There's no challenge here. Man, this is what we've done to our kids, and it's hurting them so terribly bad. Did you know that 100 years ago, there was no such thing as a teenager? 100 years ago, no such thing as a teenager. I don't mean there was no one between 13 and 19. I mean the word hadn't even been invented. The concept hadn't been invented. In fact, the, the word teenager didn't even come up until after the Great Depression had ended. The first time that it appeared in print was in 1941 in a Reader's Digest article. 
the first time that, that the word teenager was ever used in print. And so what we've done is we've created this concept that history doesn't have. If you go through history, and this spans generation, this spans culture, this spans continent. If you go through history, there's only two types of people. There's children and there's adults. But what we've done over the last 75 years, 100 years, is we've created this third category called teenager or adolescence. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, he put it this way. He said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He didn't say, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I looked like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a teenager, I looked like a man, but I still thought like a child and acted like a child. Right? So when I became a man, I put away childish things, but we've created this third category where now there's this generation that has the, the, the most of the rights of adulthood, but very little of the responsibility. And they're bored out of their minds. Why do they fill their life with video games and stuff that doesn't matter because nobody's challenging them? Because nobody's pushing them. Nobody's saying, I believe in you. There's more in you than a meaningless existence. You are not created to wait until some future day when all of a sudden you grow up. God's got something for you now. If we would challenge our kids, I think we would see such a radical difference in who they are. There's a book called Do Hard Things that I massively recommend if you've never heard of it. It, it totally revolutionized my, my thought process when it comes to young people. It's uh, by two teenage boys. Actually, they were 17 years old when they wrote the book. They're twins, Brent and Eric Harris. Uh, and they wrote this book, Do Hard Things. And the, the subtitle of the book is A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations. It's this whole concept that we're not going to settle for mediocrity in our teenage years. We are going to pursue God's best. Um, I think every parent needs to read that book. Every parent needs to have their eyes open to the potential of young people. What they do is they go through history and they document 13, 14, 15-year-olds down through history and the incredible things that they did. The amazing ways that God used them and how teenagers today are just as capable if we'll just quit lowering the bar. We need to give our young people a standard worth achieving. We need to begin believing them for something greater. When Jesus came along, he didn't lower the standard. He didn't dumb down the standard. What did he do? Jesus raised the standard everywhere he went. He said in the Old Testament, God said, do not murder. Well, I say to you, don't even hate. What did he do? He raised the bar. He said in the Old Testament, God said, do not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, don't even lust after somebody in your heart. He raised the bar. Jesus believed in high standards. And I believe if Jesus believed in high standards, we need to be believers in high standards. Instead of, instead of lowering the bar for our kids and saying, well, hey, I just want you to go to school and make good grades and not get in any trouble. Because a lot of times that's our, we just want to raise good kids who don't get in trouble. Let's raise the bar, man. You're going to go to school and you're going to make good grades and you're not going to get in trouble. And along the way, you're going to be a light of the world for Jesus Christ. And people are going to see Jesus shine through you. And there's going to be unsafe kids on your campus who meet Jesus because he put you there. We're going to raise the standard. We're going to raise the expectation because God's put something in them. And it's on us as the older generation to call those things out. And instead of saying, okay, well, don't drink and drive. Make sure you get a designated driver. How about we say, you know what? The Bible tells us to submit to the government authorities. And the government says you can't drink until you're 21. And so you're not going to drink until you're 21. 
How about instead of saying, you know what, I, I know you're going out with this girl, and I just want to make sure that you don't get her pregnant, so if you need anything, if you need birth control, come see me. I'll take care of it. How about we let them know that God's created you for more than that, and God's created you for an incredible, intimate relationship one day in marriage, and I believe in you. I believe you have the self-control. I believe you have the discipline to wait. I believe you can save yourself. Let's quit dumbing down our expectations for the next generation. Let's challenge them to something greater. Let's give them a standard worth achieving. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. You are not the Christian of tomorrow. You're the Christian of today. We've got to let them know these things. We've got to challenge them to this. You have no idea what lies inside your 14-year-old. No idea what lies inside that 12-year-old that you have over to babysit your kids, that person that God's given you influence in their life. No idea what's in them until you begin to challenge them. Give them an opportunity to show you what they're made of. So number one, we're going to give them a community worth having. Number two, we're going to give them a standard worth achieving. And number three, we're going to give them a faith worth reproducing. A faith worth reproducing. Deuteronomy 6, 7 Talking about the commands of God says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. What does this imply? Well, it implies a few things. Number one, it implies you're going to be around your kids. You're there at night. You're there in the morning, right? Like it's not just, we're not just checking out. We're not letting somebody else raise them. We're not just dropping them off somewhere and seeing them next week. We're, we're engaged and involved in their lives. I don't know everybody's world looks different and everybody's work schedule looks different. And I'm not trying to, to condemn anybody. But we need to be intentional about making time to be around the next generation. We need to be intentional about engaging them. About getting into their lives. Uh, and, and when we do, let, let me say this. You don't have to try and be cool. In fact, please don't. Because uh, one, one of the greatest values in the younger generation is authenticity. They can smell fakeness. If you're trying to be fake, if you're trying to be buddy-buddy and be best bros, like, that is repellent. It stinks. They don't want it. Just be real. Be authentic. Be you. As nerdy and dorky and lame and old as you might be, or you might think you are, just be you. Engage them. Love them. Get in their world. Give them a faith worth reproducing. We've said it a couple times in this series. I'm going to say it again. More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. In other words, they are going to, to not just do what you say, they're going to become who you are. And so if you're not loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, if you're not pursuing that, I'm not saying you have to have a perfect faith. I know I don't. But you have a perfecting faith. Are you allowing God to come in and, and rough, brush off the rough edges? Are you allowing him to put his finger on things and say, you know what, I've got something better for you. In fact, one of the greatest ways that we can be authentic in front of the next generation is owning our mistakes. One of the worst things that you can do is try to have it all together in front of your kids because they know you don't. They got it figured out. They know you've got flaws. So, so if you try to act like you never do anything wrong and when you make a mistake, you just don't even acknowledge it because you're thinking that they're looking the other way, you're, you're blowing it. Man, when you make a mistake, own it. One of, one of the worst characteristics of this younger generation, they don't know how to apologize. They don't know how to humble themselves. They don't know how to own their mistakes. And why is that? Because they're not seeing it at home. Man, we look for those opportunities. You know what? I messed that up. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? That authenticity is so attractive. They're going to want what you have. They're going to want to be who you are if you will own your mistakes. And more is caught 
than is taught. If you want them to be grounded in God's word, it's time for you to start being grounded in God's word. If you want them to be people of prayer, it's time for you to start being a person of prayer. If you want them to share their faith wherever they go, it's time for you to begin sharing your faith. If you want them to value the corporate worship of God and, and using their gifts to serve others in a godly community, then you need to have a priority on the corporate worship of God and serving God in godly community. If you want them to be good stewards, you need to live within your means. If you want them to be generous, they need to see you being generous, both to God through his church and, and to the need in the area. As you can see, that our kids are being brought in. We're going to bring them down front and pray over them in just a minute. Don't be distracted. My son just pointed at me. What's up, Judah? Good to see you, bro. We're, we're going to close this series right by believing God as a godly community. For God to touch our kids, to bless our kids, to do something in our kids. If, if you want them to be fully devoted followers of Christ, not perfect followers of Christ, but fully devoted, then let's become fully devoted followers of Christ. We are not just going to get what we want. We're going to get who we are. See, many times they need to see it before they can be it. We got to let them see it. We got to let them see how to pursue God. Again, not in perfection, owning our mistakes, but, but, but pursuing the very best that he has for us. And to say, Many times they need to see it before they can be it. That's probably terrible English, but it's good preaching. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to take that home with you. So Kids City team, if you'll bring our kids down. Young people, if anybody 18 and under, we're going to bring you down front. Um, and, and we're going to invite our whole congregation down. Uh, if you are a part of City Church, whether you have a kid here or, or you are just a part of our church, man, we're inviting you down. We're going to lay hands over our kids. We're going to pray. We're going to be the godly community that they need today. Man, how awesome would it be for these kids to walk out of here knowing four or five people that they're not related to are praying for them, are believing God for God to use them in a mighty way. So church, would you come join us down front? We're going to lay hands on these kids. We're going to intercede for them. We're going to ask God to do good thing, big things in their lives. I, I want to release you to pray out as you feel fit. Man, whatever God places on your heart, whatever child, you, you can pick one child if it's yours and pray for them. You can make your way through and pray over different kids. You can come up here on stage and get behind them if you need some space because I know there's only so much room up front. Man, we're, we're releasing an army to begin believing God for these kids. Let's do that right now. Come on. If you're not even up front yet, you can just stretch your hand forward as you're coming forward. We're just going to start praying right where